I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I was given Dean Smith the benefit of the doubt at the start of the game. I just assumed Jacob Ramsey had died this afternoon. (laughs) Such a strange decision. A decision that was grounded in months of evidence that Ross Barkley is afraid of running, afraid of tackling, afraid of the football, for fuck's sake. Hi, guys. Jack Greenish here. Uh, Delighted to say that I've signed a new deal with Aston Villa. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. Keenan Davis. Keenan Davis. Welcome. Welcome to the Goal Scorers Club. What a man. Absolutely delighted for him. Not only was it a last minute goal, not only was it an equalizer against West Brom, not only did it relegate Sam Allardyce, it was a goal from Keenan Davis. His first league goal since the 2017 18 season. As the as the lad himself said afterwards, about time really, and uh, <laughs> I've I've realised all he needed all along was the threat of being Villa's third choice striker again. Like he's he's too comfortable as the backup striker. Do you know that that's that's a that, that's a role that he's too familiar with. He needed somebody to put pressure on him, put pressure on that status as the backup striker, and then suddenly Wesley comes back and Keenan Davis is in the goals. And to be honest, Liam. <laughs> he was actually he turned the game again like I know I was raving about him at the Fulham match and then I completely gave up on him <laughs> in the last match but now I'm back in on Keenan Davis and he only got 8 minutes again thanks to another late Dean Smith substitution 82nd minute he came on and like the first involvement it was like a Zola-esque touch in the box pulls it back like Oh, it, it, from underneath his body, roasted the defender. It did everything right. This is probably the the age old conundrum of Keenan Davis. Like he looked so good and so sharp there, got the ball out from his feet, and then it, it hits it back towards the keeper. And I thought that the point of that amazing touch was to make so, like that amount of space so he'd have a better angle at the empty bit of the net. But he pulled it back for an easy save. Hits the post. I actually thought he did well there. To be honest, there were two men on the line. He tried, he lifted, and he did lift it, and he hit the post. He was unlucky. And then his goal, he's actually hes actually a poacher. We've got a poacher here. He, you know, West Brom dicking around. I was actually wondering for a stage there, Jesus, why isn't Sam Johnson England's keeper? This is before the game. <laughs> I was like, I just don't watch him enough, but every time I see him, he's really solid. And he just looks so indecisive. Like, there, there it is in a nutshell. Like, And that, that last piece of play, him and the defender just, Balls and an up and Keenan. You don't do that when Keenan Davis is around. <laughs> and <laughs> striker's instinct comes straight in a sharp, good finish, runs away. What were you all expecting? I'm Keenan Davis. This is a Keenan Davis I can get on board with. Yeah, absolutely. I questioned his killer instinct the last game. I questioned his ability to sense danger and take advantage of it. I answered I answered those questions in my own Conan-esque WhatsApp whinge. When I declared about a minute beforehand, he's never going to score, mate. And I am delighted to make a hit of myself. What a man. 
He's a fucking champ. And even last week as well, I said Wesley could fuck off last week, but great to have him back. And the goal, the goal came from him dropping into defensive midfield. He's been out <laughs> of the game so long, he's forgotten what position he plays in. Bamboozled the West Brom defence. And Keenan Davis was there to take advantage of it. I'm so happy you brought up Wesley because it's just like the, the sight. And you know that I am just a basic motherfucker. <laughs> but like the sight of Wesley and Davis in there. Football's not that hard. Get the big men on the pitch and get the fucking ball into them. <laughs> Villa almost got an equal or almost got a winner at the end. Wesley had a good header actually. But outside that chance, I would have still been excited. Just the ball going in. West Brom freaking out. Wesley and Davis causing consternation. I'm willing to even overlook Ollie Watkins' contribution all season to have that excitement of those two inside for the last five minutes against West Brom. Let me clarify, I'm not saying that I ever want to see Ollie Watkins out of the Villa team. But, <laughs> but Jesus, it was great seeing the two big men inside. Yeah, it's amazing that Villa ended up with a, a Sam Allardyce forward line. And Sam Allardyce at... <laughs> Declared one time all this tiki taka bullshit. Sometimes just putting a good ball into the box is the best way to score a goal. And there you go. Put a shit ball into the box if Sam Johnson's in there. That's the best way to score a goal. <laughs> well, the the tone of this start of this podcast has changed dramatically from what it was going to be. I Well, I, I was at one stage questioning if I had the heart to do another podcast, talking about the same problems. And then I thought, right, you know, I'll just, I'll just ante up again for for our loyal listeners. Like we'll have to, we'll have to give them something. At least, at least we'll all have that shared experience of calling everybody a cunt, and we'll feel somewhat better along the way. But you know, I was going to save for questions we can't answer. Just like you know, should we even bother doing a podcast for the rest of the season? <laughs> like, you know, because it's, it's going to be the same thing. It's going to be the same problems. And it was actually so bad at one stage that I didn't even have the heart. To put Sam Allardyce or Sammy Lee onto my notes, you know, it was just like I, I, I can't even, I can't even have a go at these boys. Villa are that bad, and like, you know, what is football punditry? What, what, what is football if you're not going to laugh at Sam Allardyce and Sammy Lee? And we will get to them later, but it, it was a weird game. Like two penalties in the first half, getting a bit annoyed at some suggestions that. You know, Villa didn't deserve their penalty either. Like, you know, we've <laughs> we've had enough slaggings of, of Ross Barkley and we'll, we'll probably find time for some more tonight. But, like, he won the penalty. Like, he got, he got in there. It was a stupid tackle. Got brought down as he was running. Like, it, it was clear enough. He, he got clipped as he was running with the ball. The, the West Brom one is someone standing over the ball. There's three Villa players between him and the net. He feeds a hand on his shoulder. And he falls, and I keep hearing about this contact with the with the foot because Maitland Niles was holding his foot afterwards, and this seems to be the only bit of evidence that we're using to say that his foot was contacted with with Kansas. Like, no no replay has has definitively shown this yet. It just seemed he got a hand on the shoulder, went down. The ref, who I'm seeing replays afterwards, had three players between him and the ball, did not see it, just saw a player going down, gave the decision, and. And we're back to to VAR again <laughs> because we're not like it's not even let, let's st- stop calling it VAR. Let's call Premier League referees. This this idea that it has to be clear and obvious before the video assistant referee can intervene, like as if as if these numpties have enough credit in the bank to never be questioned. <laughs> You know, like it has to be clear and obvious before we come in and question their authority. Like as if we can trust them to always do such a good job that we should only intervene when it's absolutely necessary. It's always absolutely necessary when we're talking about Premier League referees. And here tonight, they're looking at the replay and none of them thought, oh, maybe we should just tell them to look at the fucking monitor because this, this looks stupid. It looks soft. And like you know, and it's not helped by the fact that the, the ex Premier League referees Peter Walton is on BT Sport, and his quote is in the context of the game, it's a penalty. He's talking about the context of the Villa West Brom game, not the context of the game of football. <laughs> he doesn't care about the rules. He's just thinking, well, you know, there were a couple of other soft decisions given, so yeah, he's right. Darren McGallagher's on American TV saying they're consistent with any contact with the feet, like. <laughs> 
you know, he's saying referees and VAR are consistent every time you see contact with the feet, they'll give it. Like that, that's a sackable offense from for Dermot Gallagher. Like, you know, and actually, I loved, I think it was Andy Townsend and Tim Sherwood were there. And then they just started peppering Dermot Gallagher of all these examples as if they were ready for him to come out in defense of the referee to give him the example of that game itself of Dara O'Shea, like just standing on Ferrari who doesn't go down, doesn't get his, his penalty. And uh, they gave the example of uh, Lindelof on on Gallagher from West Brom being overturned, <laughs> you know, and then Billage got sacked a couple of games later. Like, you know, brilliant examples at the U, so just to show that the consistencies aren't there. I'm going off on one here, but yeah, like it, it, it comes back to that idea, like as if these guys can't be questioned. This, once again, shows they absolutely can. Yeah, I got five or six looks at it, and it wasn't enough for me to figure out what had happened. I, I, I didn't actually know what Kanza had done. He came back and put a bit of contact on the upper body of the West Brom forward. And the, the, the VAR thing is interesting. I mean, we were saying for years, and everybody was saying for years, that we wanted VAR because referees were shit. We yeah. needed the technology. And now that we've got the technology, and that is showing that the referees continue to be shit, we're saying we want rid of the technology. I'm not sure that's what we need to fix. I think it might just be the thing that's persistent. The shit referees. Yeah. I I actually think I assumed, you know, when we talk about technology, that there would be somebody more competent than referees. Like, you know, as if there was a, a level above referees, like somebody could come in with their head screwed on and then just overrule these boys. I didn't realize it was going to be Mike Dean and all his mates operating the same thing. And people who are actually colleagues now having to to override each other. This should be a completely independent body looking at the rules that they've laid out. It should be lawyers up there, <laughs> like judges, looking at the football rules and then saying, well, actually, you're not applying these properly. Like, I'm taking all emotion, emotion out of it because this is what you get. Like, this is what you get tonight. Like, you're right. You're right to mention that because the biggest, the, the worst thing tonight was was the decision being given. Like, and that, that, that is the common theme. It's, it's the original decision being given. And then... And then it's just doubled down on by one of his mates looking at it and then not over overruling them. Yeah, and it was it was a terrible decision. The, the Barkley one was definitely a penalty. It was you're right to say it was a stupid tackle. It was absolutely pointless. He's going away from goal and he's putting himself onto his left foot. It was needless tackle, and he takes his ankles. And luckily, this time his mate didn't get involved as he didn't with the the second incident for the West Brom penalty. <laughs> Joe Cole also said on BT Sport that, you know, Villa are on the beach. I'm not having this talk of of Villa being on holidays already. I think that completely excuses him for being on holidays since January. Like, they've been lying on the beach for four and a half fucking months now, Joe. Like, on the beach, if these players had any ambition, they'd want to start matching the ambition of the club. Like, you know, like, this club is going to keep improving. And these guys need to start trying to keep their places because none of them are doing themselves any justice. We like we come back to that that period in time, like ever since January, ever since the Man City game after the COVID break, Villa have been a shambles. And right now, at the minute, outside of the back five and Watkins, you wouldn't have your breath taken away if I said to you tomorrow we're losing all those other players. We're losing Ferrari. We're losing El Ghazi. We're losing Douglas Louise who we actually were worried about losing for a while. Now you wouldn't be too bothered about it. Like you'd, you'd want to keep him, I assume. You'd want to keep him again. But again, you wouldn't lose sleep over it. Barkley. And then all the people who are apparently below them. Like that. <laughs> These guys are, are being given a chance. They play with Villa and push them into the top 10. And I am not having any talk that, that they're on the beach. Just like... As, as if their fucking job has been done since December. Like, <laughs> was that their job to get 40 points? Because, like, right now, it is terrible. And right now, none of those guys that I mentioned are in any of the plans for next year for such an ambitious club. Yeah, it was an interesting game because just speaking about the Barkley penalty, it was the best bit of football I've seen a Jack Grealish's Villa play. And it was emblematic of how they started the game all the way up to the 20th minute. They were playing with so much energy, risk, bravery. And when you do that against a team you're better than, it almost always works out because they're there for the taking, and because they can't punish you anyway, so just go out and fucking beat them, and that seemed to be the way we were playing, it was great to see us assert ourselves like that, and it was a 
throwback to the first 13 games of the season out of absolutely nowhere because we've been yeah. atrocious up to that point. But once the 20th minute came and once West Brom got, the go- got their goal, we were dreadful. We were unbelievably bad. I mean, we can't keep playing a 4 not one formation. I mean, it, it's innovative, it's interesting, but it doesn't really work, does it? <laughs> Do you know what, actually? We probably would have been better off giving that a lash because it was our <laughs> midfield that started most of West Brom's attacks. Yeah. And after West Brom scored, Villa just went off a cliff. They were terrible. They were so careless in possession, just kicking the ball away time after time. And there was nothing particularly wrong with the setup or the fluidity of the movement, but the passing, Conan, the passing, it was so bad I was laughing. Like yeah. I never laugh at a misplaced pass. <laughs> I don't think it's funny. I mean, even when it's not Villa doing it, I don't think it's funny. I just don't like watching football matches when the ball's getting kicked out of play. It's not fucking funny. I'm spending 90 minutes of my day watching this shit, and you can't even keep the ball in play. Pass it to a teammate. There's 10 of them. It, it was one of those, like that period, you know, where people were kicking it off each other. They were miscontrolling it. They were literally, yeah, hitting it out of play for a throw-in when you're just trying to pass the ball to somebody's feet. It was one of those moments where you start questioning the amount of football that you're watching with your life. <laughs> Do you know when you start feeling uncomfortable? Like, is this the best use of my time? When when that's happening, when you're watching, like say for example, the Champions League knockout phases, it it just validates all that time you spend. It's just like, yeah, of course this is the best use of my time. Football is fucking brilliant. When you're watching Villa meeting any sort of adversity and crumbling under it, you have to start asking tough questions of how, how you're spending your life. <laughs> and and honestly, like you know what what I would do now. You're, you're you're absolutely right to mention the first 20 minutes. It was exciting. It, it was like, I, I think you mentioned earlier in the season that Villa have an inordinate amount of players who take risks. It's so far away from that now. And the first 20 minutes you had it, like those little, those little flicks around the corner, like where Villa go from defence to attack because they're, they're moving through the middle and through the middle there's guys who are taking the ball in tight areas I'm willing to flick it around to somebody else who'll take it in a tight area. And it's actually, it's really exciting that, like, and that's another reason why, like, say, Villa getting that penalty, not only was it an obvious foul, but like, you know, they deserve it because they played well. <laughs> it was such a good move to get up there. Gazi had a shot, it was blocked, Barkley got onto it. But what I would do now, like, because they were so bad, once again, after conceding the goal, like, crumbled in the video session this week. I wouldn't be analysing the game or what they've done or what they've done wrong. I'd actually be showing them every time they dived looking for a soft free. Because this has happened before, but like what, what happened tonight, I was thinking, abandon this match. Like <laughs> Everybody knows this referee's shite and now they're all spending their time just trying to get up the pitch, further and further up the pitch by winning a soft free. And Villa were, were the worst for it, I think. And the screams of them and just going down and looking at him, like looking at him for help. Such a weak mentality yet again. It's, it's dishonorable. And it's just shite for football. And more importantly, it's shite for us who are investing our time into watching it. Yeah, and I felt really comfortable with my life choices in the first 20 minutes of the game. But when it descended into that nonsense, it was, yeah, it was unbearable. But you can't really blame them. I mean, El Ghazi was kicking the ball out of play with a two-yard pass to Matt Target. You know, yeah. why would you not just try to get a handy free? Because he, he can't complete a pass. Like, just just give up on attempting it. Just fall over. John McGinn was atrocious. You know what the most frustrating thing about John McGinn is? You can see him just do these immaculate, delicious little balls over the top. And then the next time he gets it, he'll hit the corner flag. Yeah. From 60 yards away. How can he do both of those things within three minutes of, of each other? It's unbelievable. It is, and I want to talk about him a bit more in WhatsApp Winges. All right, let's go. WhatsApp Winges. Number one. Douglas Louise has a fucking fetish for conceding 20-yard free kicks. Unbelievable. I, as soon as that happened as well, I just immediately thought about WhatsApp Winges and that that was going to be the first one to come up. <laughs> he just sprinted into the back of a West Brom player. Yeah. And West Brom were playing so shit. That that was their only avenue 
to attack Fuller. And he just gives them exactly what they want. He just threw them a fucking oxygen tank as they were drowning. <laughs> They're your rivals. Let them drown, Dougie. Yeah. Uh, Dougie was one of the boys in the first 20 minutes where I thought, oh, yes, he's been listening to the podcast. He is on it here. It, it, it was the Samba football that you like from Douglas Louise. And then he he was the personification once again of Villa going off the cliff and like that that tackle in the corner, oh. that like that's that's unforgivable. Like you're calling it a tackle, are you? <laughs> like you know, that was one of the worst things I've seen. Like it, it didn't even foul him. Like the one time you want him to foul him, like once he's, he's nutmegged you, he just sticks out his foot like as if like I, I could foul him here, and then he turns away with his hands in there, walks off the pitch, and hopes that. Nothing comes of this, and Emmy Martin is saves him. But that that was just pathetic, and like not not what you want from your midfield enforcer, apparently. <laughs> yeah, like let's be honest, Douglas Louise and Dean Smith both need to grow up. Dougie cannot be our anchor, and they both need to see that it's a toxic relationship. But neither of them can escape it because they've been going out with each other since school. They're they're terrible together. All their friends hate when they turn up to parties together. It doesn't work. Everyone knows it doesn't work. And worst of all, they fucking know it as well. It's dead. Just let it go. You'll be better off together. If you're you'll be better off avoid each other. Just leave it out of that. But some people are afraid of being alone and and they'd rather be in a shit relationship than than go it alone. Do you know who's afraid of being alone? Konza and fucking Mings because Douglas <laughs> Louise is just leaving them fucking hung out to dry by not playing defensive midfield for us. <laughs> well, hang on though. You're, you're being specific there about um about centre midfield or the anchor. Like, do you still think there's a role for him in a different formation? No, I think, I think Douglas Louise could play wide of a, a defensive midfielder. I think he could play... I think he could definitely play in a two of a midfield as well if he's not supposed to be the most defensive one. Like, that just that has to stop. Douglas Louise plays either on the left or the right. He plays in the middle sometimes as well for Brazil if they're playing a shit team. But he, can, yeah. he plays on the left and the right for Brazil as well. There's no doubt. You can tell by the way he plays football that he can do that. He's got enough energy. He's got enough pace. He's good enough on the ball. But he can't be playing that role as the only person who's supposed to be protecting our back four. It just he's not he's not that player. That's not who he is. And that's why I think a defensive midfielder is absolutely paramount for Villa this season. Because we need it if we're gonna play three and we need it if we're gonna play two. And this is it. I, I don't want to give up on Douglas Louise yet because like we've just seen too many good games from him. Even tonight you see twenty minutes. It's only twenty minutes. It's not good enough. And I am so frustrated at him in general, never mind tonight. But like you know, there's a player there. He's young. He can he can go on to start dominating a bit more. But like he needs to get his head out of his arse. But yeah, he probably needs helped by his long term boyfriend, Dean Smith. Um, second WhatsApp wins. We're in a fucking heat wave here. Why is Villa Park worse than Ellen Road? And like this goes back to the last game as well. It didn't really like it was Man City, so I just thought we were going to lose anyway. So it was frustrating, but I didn't really put stock in it. But here tonight, gave away the second goal because Kanza has slipped, and he's not the first person to slip. And it's like, how is this? We're we're in the middle of a heat wave in April. Like Ellen Road was bad back at the start of the year. Like how how is this become a thing now at Villa Park? And the boys are just slipping all over and. Like, it should never be a case anyway. When one person slips, it's a goal. Well, you know, obviously, if your last player back slips, then it's, it's going to be a goal. But, like, you know, that that's just such... Like, that that was just a ball hoofed up into the air. Kanz has controlled it. Everybody else is just relaxed because Kanz has controlled it brilliantly. And then he fallen on his earth, and it's a goal for West Brom. I think you're being very, very kind to Ezri Kanza there. I think Kanza's touch is heavy. It's going to go to the West Brom player, and he slips in his panic to adjust and obviously if he doesn't slip it's not as dangerous but he's given the ball away and there's there's two West Brom players now facing Villa's two centre halves I, I think Kanza really really cocked up there 
I mean, the, the touch is just too heavy, and it's not a difficult ball to control. It's another one of those ones where it's <laughs> it's good visualization to show somebody who's not interested in football. It's just how frustrating it is and how stupid it is supporting Villa. Like, there it is, big naff ball into the air. Your centre back slips on his arse. Your other centre back comes along and hits a terrible shot into the net. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that shot's going fifteen meters wide, and then your other centre back comes along to make sure it goes in past the keeper. Again, I, I I think you're being overly harsh on Mings. <laughs> I think I think if Mings is in there, who is it at the back post? Is it Callum Robinson? I think that's just getting tapped in anyway. I mean, it's it's not a good finish. You're right, but there is a West Brom player behind Mings who will probably tuck it away anyway. But yeah, it's, Mings makes the decision to close him down. Mings is in a terrible situation. He's got two players and he's only one man. A big man at that, but he's only one man. And I just think he makes the decision to go to the player too late. He has to remember that it's a West Brom player. You just go to him. like Make him make the decision. He'll make a bad one. Just go to him as quickly as you can. He'll cock up. If he does scuff a pass away, he's playing it to another West Brom player. He's not going to control it. You'll have time to recover. Just go to the guy on the ball. Your Mings chewing gum, uh, what would you call it? Just, just spot is catching on. Ryan Devlin tweeted us, said he's not a Villa fan, but Tyro Mings chewing gum and not looking bothered after making a mistake after every mistake is so fucking annoying. <laughs> It's unbelievably annoying. It's it's the chewing gum. It's the thumbs up. It's the balling out all their players. It's just minks. Come on, just get back to being the elite centre half. We know you are. Put your fucking thumb down and get that chewing gum out of your mouth. <laughs> Third WhatsApp winch. Why the fuck are Villa wasting their own time? I mean, this was at 1-1 before it was 2-1, so I actually, like, and it happened, it probably was worse, but I just spent the time to calculate one corner at the end of the first half, how much time was being wasted, like, can you guess, right? It was Matt Target walking across to take yeah. the corner, wasn't it? Unbelievable. <laughs> 36 fucking seconds before that corner was taken. I was like, what? What, what do you like, who do you think you are? Do you think this is a good result? Or do you think we're so prolific with corners that it's fine that we can that we can afford to to do this? Like what happens then? Corner swung in, Kanza heads it wide straight away. That's one and a half seconds. So it takes another minute and thirteen seconds then for the ball to be kicked out. <laughs> and then it's half time. Like, you know, West Brom are just happy to piss around then and kick the ball out. And like this is all because Villa are wasting their own time. Think like I don't know what the thinking is. And this is the other thing. Just go over and kick it as quickly as possible because West Brom aren't going to counter-attack. They were playing yeah. shit in the first half. Even after they scored, they were they were doing giving you nothing. They were happy with 1-1. I remember actually thinking, I'm pretty sure it was just after that corner, Sam Johnson was going down to pick up the ball. I was like, do West Brom know that they're nine points behind fucking Newcastle? <laughs> what are you doing? You have to win yeah. this game. Get the ball back and play. There's 20 seconds left. And that was it. Like that. That was the and the referee had to tell them to hurry up as well. But like again, we we just sort of fed into that. We allowed them to start slowing the time down because we slowed it down ourselves. And ah, uh, just frustrating. Like you win a corner, get over and take it. It doesn't like take ten seconds tops for people to get into the box. Get the ball in there. Probably won't score, and we'll all move on. <laughs> Number four, John McGinn thinks football is harder than it is. <laughs> <laughs> talk about being frustrated at things like you know this guy <laughs> this guy like, tries too hard is his problem like you know he's oh like those passes you mentioned he's overhitting it's because he's trying too hard like the ball being underneath his body is because he's so deliberate with his positioning of his body he's always worried about somebody being beside him and actually it seems like he's not comfortable unless somebody is beside him and up his arse you know like it seems like he he burrows himself into these troubled situations because that's that's the worst possible thing that can happen. I mean, he wants to, to be in there to realise all those fears. And it's like sometimes you can just have a bit of space and pass the ball. And the pass can be not rushed and not overhit and not poked. Or like, you know, just, just stroke it and go again. 
his his dribbling was terrible as well. It was just so heavy. He was knocking a past the lad like eight yards further beyond him than he needed to. Yeah. The control of the ball was just non-existent. And this is a big, big, persistent problem with Aston Villa. Douglas Louise isn't playing well, and John McGinn isn't a centre midfielder. You can't be playing in the two because he can't control the game because he can't control his own fucking body. <laughs> And the last WhatsApp wins. Elmo is 33. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's been 33 for 10 years. I, like, I thought he was an old pro at Hull. It's like, 33. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So I assume you think he's looking shit. Uh <laughs> He nearly rolled back the years with that volley, though. That was... That oh. was, that was Sam Johnson, of course, has to make it make it look a lot more dramatic than it actually was. I mean, it was pretty central, the spank in the end. But God, I actually thought Elmo was a lot better tonight. And I was worried going into the game that that's what West Brom would expose. They would try to get the ball high and wide to his side. But they never really yeah. took advantage of it because they were so shit, which makes the result all the more annoying. And you said we were pretty jovial at the start of the show. But now that that's got like, that. That's gone now. That was what is that half an hour ago? I was only happy because I was still on a buzz because Keenan Davis scored. But now that we just talk more and more about the game, I realize how fucking shit Villa were and how <laughs> shit a result it is to draw two all at home to West Brom. Lost draw, draw, lost win, lost, lost draw. You know, remember we warned the Liverpool fans, like, don't get excited about beating Aston Villa. Liverpool haven't won since. (laughs) Everybody, Sheffield United, Newcastle, West Brom, they're all taking points off Villa. That's a terrible draw for West Brom, if anything. (laughs) (laughs) I I just mentioned Elmo because could well be his last game at Villa Park. He might get a run out before the end of the season, seeing as everybody's on holidays already. But, um... He's been a great servant. He's, he's a great fella. Like I have loads of time for him. Like I would have loved that volley. Caught it so well to go in. He's been Mister Reliable, really. Like yeah, he didn't have any challenge tonight, but he didn't didn't look baller. He looked good on the ball. It it was brilliant last year and the year before. I thought, um, and yeah, just four seasons of of great service to Villa. I don't think anybody would have a bad word to say about him. So thanks a million, Elmo. Yeah, there's absolutely nothing to dislike about that man. Absolutely nothing. And with that, we will get into some categories. They've both got incredible arses. The face on some of those lads, like McNeil, Wood. Like, Wood looks like a big, <laughs> a big GA midfielder, doesn't he? will use his arse in every scenario. He actually played a blind arse early on in the first half. Does anyone sweat more than Ross Barkley? <laughs> it actually looked like he was going for showers regularly during the game. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? John Walters' arch has never let me down, though. John McGinn's has let me down several occasions this season. <laughs> he was drenched, like absolutely soaking. El Ghazi is too prone to bad runs of form. He had a bit of crack in December and he was due a bad run. He's too patchy, he's too streaky. And that performance was the equivalent of a streak of shit in the toilets of a fucking bus station. Into somebody else's bosom. Bosom of possession, I mean. You know, like a bosom of possession, I mean. We're going to start with the Ronnie Rossenthal Award. I mean, we mentioned Elmo's strike there. I don't know if that was a, 
a Rosenthal miss, so it shouldn't really be nominated. But we've got a few. El Ghazi running through and not knowing what to do with it. Not knowing whether he should shoot himself to play it right to Terori, to play it left to Barkley. I would say that option left should never be an option. <laughs> and then he tried to play it too late, in fairness to Ross Barkley, um, who didn't show any speed at all to try and retrieve the situation. Um, and he was offside, actually. <laughs> so never go left. Always look right or shoot yourself. Um, yeah, and in the end, it was like just a classic three-on-two, and he's balls it up. He need, he need more composure in those, in those situations. Yeah, you absolutely need to be clinical. I mean, whenever you're playing against a bank of five, a bank of four in front of it, those chances don't present themselves that often. And yeah, playing it wide to Ross Barkley's left foot. You say he was offside when the pass was played. He was offside the entire move. He was never onside there. He was he was just ahead all the time. It was never on. It had to go right. Go right to big Bertie T's right foot probably doesn't sound like a better option. <laughs> But he'll probably get on the end of the ball, at least. <laughs> well, Big Bertie T is mentioned. Um, the shot, uh, yeah, such a bad shot as it was. Like, you know, he's coming in from the right-hand side, completely slices it wide. Elmo was on the outside. All he has to do is put him through. And he ignores him, does his own thing. His own thing is shit. And this is actually the problem with Bertie T. He's... <laughs> I don't want to give him too much credit for doing stuff like that, but he's a victim of his own unpredictability. Like, so you see that lovely ball he put across for Watkins in the first half early on, and Watkins is just on his heels, not expecting anything. <laughs> and you and I both know that's not Ollie Watkins. That's not the Watkins that we know and love. Like, he's he's alert for everything. He will run yeah. for anything, except when Bertrand Shrewry has the ball. Like, everybody just stops, and they're thinking, what is this cunt going to do right now? <laughs> and suddenly, he just rolls this lovely ball across. It would be an open net for Watkins if he just even half-tuned in, and he, he didn't, and he, he had he put his hand up and apologised. But but that ball never came again, is the point. There was one where he, he chased in a looping cross and played it across. He caught it on the volley, and that oh, yeah. Watkins, to be fair to Watkins, that's not the same thing. He just wasn't expecting Bertie T to get to that one. Do you know I was watching that game and his control was his control is often so good. Bertrand Troy, I'm talking about. But I just thought tonight we should have given him a lot more ball because I didn't think he looked I thought he looked like he was on it if we could just get the ball to him. And that one, I think you're doing him a bit of a disservice. I think he, he absolutely rinses the lad, takes it slightly too wide, and then does all he can, hit it with power and hit it high, and it hits the side of the post. I mean I, I thought Bertie T was underused tonight. Oh, I'm not even talking about that. That that was good. I and mean, that's the one that uh, Tim Sherwood mentioned for a penalty shoot. I'm on about the one where he, he cuts inside from the edge of the box. He cuts in on his left foot. And Elmo's going on the overlap on the right. He's, he's keeping, he's staying onside like Ross Barkley uh... doesn't do. And, and there's actually so much time and space. like Because Elmo's just there keeping an onside line and nobody is even coming over to stop yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then Troy just floats it. Like it, it's it's because it wasn't even close is, is the thing. Like if that had just skimmed the post, we wouldn't have cared. But it just it hits a ten yards wide. I actually, I actually, that was such a tame effort at goal that I actually just forgot about it. I didn't even <laughs> consider it a shot. And then the commentator said, "You can see what he's trying to do." Is like kind of like yeah, but he's so far from it that you'd be forgiven for thinking he was doing anything else. Yeah. I think it was in his head the last time he played West Brom where he just stroked that lovely ball in across the, the carpet when yeah. nobody was expecting it. Like, nobody was expecting this. And yet again, <laughs> nobody's <laughs> expecting anything from Bertrand Terori. And that's his problem. He needs to be a bit more consistent so people can start making runs again for him. The last two nominations, I don't know if I'm missing any more. Keenan Davis by two. I, I mentioned it, both of them at the top of the show. I, th- I think the post one, maybe you think I'm being a bit too kind. I think the post one was unlucky. I thought he did well, tight area. As I said, two people on the line at that side of the net between the keeper and the post. Um, he lifted it up, hit the post. And I thought the first one, though, he, he did well to make it. Not everybody makes that chance, but he has to score then once he's made it. There's no point in making it if you're not going to score. He has to hit the fucking ball at a minimum. I mean, he just absolutely <laughs> trickles it. I mean, Johnson dives for that, like, but he could have just walked over and put his studs on it. It was a terrible finish in the end. 
Um, your miss the biggest sitter of all was Ollie Watkins. Oh fuck! Oh my god! I mean, that was so disappointing. You, you can't just run into the box and hit the ball kind of hard. You're a centre <laughs> forward. <laughs> West Brom's shit defenders have stopped defending. They're not even running back anymore. They've given up. And that's what you do. You don't even close the <laughs> angle properly. You just hit it straight at Sam Johnson. He's just there for the taking. The, the first touch was amazing. The first touch was perfect. I thought, this is a striker who knows what he's doing. Like, the, the angles of first touch, the, the weight of it, and all he had to do is run up then and stroke the ball with his second touch. And he, as you see, he, he closed his eyes and just hit it. Didn't even hit it as hard as he could. Didn't roof it. Hit it straight at him. And all the side of the net on the left-hand side was there to be to be exploited. And he, he did not. Oh, that, I, I, I Honestly, I, I was, I am, <laughs> oh my God. Like, that definitely wins. I am speechless at that. Like, I, I could not get over that. It easily wins. It's the worst thing that happened in the game. And a lot of shit things happened in that game. Yeah, Ollie Watkins, I can't believe him saying it, but you are the winner of the Ronnie Rossenthal Award. And it gives me no joy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm genuinely flattened by that. And I'm, I'm starting to get where you are now. I'm starting to relive this game a bit more in my head. And it's not, it's not good. It's the stuff of nightmares, really. The you like Glenn Whedon take a 90th minute penalty award. We've got a lifetime achievement award to hand out here. Actually, there's no <laughs> the award is cancelled. The there's going to be no ceremony apart from one winner to come up and collect his lifetime achievement award, and that is three syllables that we have said far too often on this podcast, especially in this category: plain Ross Barkley. Congratulations. <laughs> I mean, like, has this guy... Has this guy ever taken anybody on? Do you know when he stands over the ball and he's doing his step-overs and he's fainting and he's pretending to go and... Like, would anybody fall for that? Because he's never actually tried to take anybody on. Like, he's never, he doesn't... He doesn't use any of that skill or any of those feints to get himself more space. He just does it to waste all our times. And and then what what usually happens is he plays the ball, sometimes badly, sometimes pointlessly, and then runs back out into an area where he won't get it in a in a more dangerous area. It's just it's just pointless stuff. And like, I I think we were all shocked when we saw that he was he was starting. Like I I know Smith's hands are tied somewhat now. Like he doesn't have many options. He's he's tried Jacob Ramsey, and then he's brought him back out. He's brought him back in. You know, and then he's done the same with Ross Barkley. Like, there's, there's nothing else really. Trezeguet's out. So now he's, he's left with, he's got four options. And it's four options for three places. And it's Trezeguet, it's El Ghazi, it's Bertrand Ferrari, and it's Ross Barkley. Sorry, Trezeguet's out. So it's Jacob Ramsey. And it's, yeah, and he's just switching between Ramsey, El Ghazi, and Barkley. And it's landed on Barkley tonight. And, Yet again, we're asking why does it ever land on Barkley? <laughs> does it ever, does it ever get us anything? Got us a penalty tonight, but yeah, stayed on for eighty-two minutes as well. Surprised. Yeah, I was giving Dean Smith the benefit of the doubt at the start of the game. I just assumed Jacob Ramsey had died this afternoon. <laughs> such a strange decision. A decision that was grounded in months of evidence that Ross Barkley is afraid of running, afraid of tackling, afraid of the football for fuck's sake. Yeah. I mean it's it's like firing up the chip pan at three in the morning when you're pissed. Regardless of whether you send yourself to bed with your stomach full of much needed starchy carbs and that helps take the edge off the morning or whether you burn your fucking house down. It was a bad decision. <laughs> and the outcome is irrelevant. It's risky, it's dangerous, and you're asking for trouble. And I'd say he probably just choked to death in his own vomit tonight, but the rest of the family and the, the family home survived. He wasn't as dreadful as he normally is. It wasn't as catastrophic, but he was still fucking shit. And that's it. And It's, it's always laced in a, an air of, of laziness and just not being as tuned in as other players and, and disappearing defensively and like I say like I 
I'll I'll forgive a lot in football, and like I don't mind people losing the ball and people taking risks. And what I don't like is when people don't put themselves in the uncomfortable positions. Like, and that's what you need from a, a supposed playmaker, a supposed number ten. You need to you need to take that ball under pressure because that's the only way you can get through. And when your number ten and your playmaker supposedly is not doing that, then what happens is what you get tonight. You have nine West Brom players in your way and you have shit crosses going on and they're all cleared and then you have 25 metre shots usually from Ross Berkeley that are being blocked down. Has he ever taken a shot that hasn't been blocked since the last <laughs> match? I don't think so. I mean, one, one of his goals came from an absolutely shit shot that was looped into the net. Yeah. And you're right to talk about those huge, elaborate, slow stepovers. I mean, he's got the slowest quick feet I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> All he ever does at the end of him is just give the ball back back yeah. to Matt Target. And like and you can just you're just watching this develop. And all I could see tonight was him standing over the ball, not playing the pass that he's gonna play in 10 seconds time, <laughs> and just watch four or five white and black shirts just running past out of focus in the background into a defensive situation. So now you've given it to a less attack-minded yeah. player with more defenders in front of him. Yes. Cheers that, for that, pal. That that's exactly what he does. He just allows time for those players to get back. And yeah, it's either by holding up the ball and doing nothing with it, or you see, he's actually the best at one touch passes to take the ball away from the box. <laughs> so somebody plays the ball into him in the box, and the first time he plays it out to Matt Target, like, you turn around, you're in the box. Like you know, he's he's brilliant at that. I'll give him that. <laughs> Absolutely world class at clearing the lines for fucking all their teams. <laughs> I mean, there's all this stuff we can go over, but I'm just, I'm just conscious of like going over the same territory over and over. And I am, I do want to concede that like there's not a lot of different options that Smith can do right now, unless we get more, more, more help and more, more names. Like he can, like I, I would still like to look, especially now that Wesley's back, like to look with two up top and see how that works what's the worst that can happen like the season's over like it's been over a long time I read out the form guide earlier like it can't be worse than this one one game without Grealish try two up top to fuck but I think that's what's frustrating people is it's just that lack of change in formation we've talked about this loads and, and not changing when Grealish is missing like that that's stupid but it's trying the same shape with the same group of players and only able to like it's it's depressing for him that he's only able to change between Ramsey or Gazi and Barkley you know but in saying that then why not give yourself a different option why not bring Davis into that dynamic or or just change the shape yeah because right now Douglas Louise isn't playing well McGinn isn't playing well and the other three midfielders aren't playing well so yeah try something Villa, Villa can't play with two up top because that means they're then back to playing McGinn and Dougie on their own it's in midfield I mean they're essentially on their own whenever Ross Barkley is the other player on the pitch yeah. but at least he occupies a bit of space I just I just can't see Villa doing that with those two as their two midfielders bring on the summer transfer window the Vyman meter going up Matt Target and you know why it's because when Douglas Louise got nutmegged in the far corner the opposite corner of Matt Target and I just thought, what would Target do in that situation? <laughs> like, well, firstly, he would just win the ball. He would just take it off him. He's a brilliant tackler. And if he didn't, he would just fucking mince Pereira. Like, he would not be getting past there. Give them a corner. Basically, it'd be a free kick on the corner flag. And Target would just run back into the box and get ready for it. And just again, like, his, his crosses are good. Brilliant cross for that Ferrari one you mentioned. Like, that completely spooked. Sam Johnson, who came out, went back, came out, went back. The whip on it was gorgeous. Right around everybody. So many people in the box found Ferrari in the back post, who did well himself to get it. Um, and just, just another solid performance from Matt Target, what we've come to expect from him. Yeah, not only was it solid, but I was finding myself getting more and more depressed as the game went on, just thinking, why is Matt Target yet again Villa's best attacker? <laughs> this is so bleak. Yeah. I don't know what I mean, watching Villa versus West Ham or West Brom. I'm watching Villa versus West Brom with Matt Target as the best attacking player on the pitch. 
and like he's actually very clever as well. A free kicky one in the second half. Like I, I thought that like, we've talked about him before. He when he was going badly, his fitness levels or his speed levels, and the I thought that was him at full speed going down the left flank, and then just when he saw the tackle was coming, he just absolutely turned it up three gears and got to the ball first. There was Gallagher who came over then, cleaned him, and Gallagher didn't know what happened because <laughs> you know, the ball was there to be won, and then suddenly Gallagher or Target just put the afterburners on, poked the ball away, and Gallagher was on a bit, eating it whole. <laughs> that wouldn't be the first time Gallagher didn't know what was happening on a football pitch. <laughs> yeah. Um, going up, Keenan Davis mentioned him. And going up, Mr. Wesley. We've slagged him enough. We've been frustrated at his lack of progression and coming back since January last year. But he's back and it's good to see him. By fuck, I forgot how huge he is. Like, he is massive. The muscle of him and Davis, in fairness. Oh, I don't know. If, I feel like the reinforcements are arriving. All we need now is uh, Jack Grealish. We were told it's going to be a big May. And the next game is going to be May. So who knows, Liam? Who knows? <laughs> so long as Jack Grealish's comeback isn't as teased out as much as Davis's was. I mean... <laughs> I feel absolutely horrible that Davis was injured for so long and an atrocious injury and he was only starting to play well before he got injured. But you know, <laughs> I sort of feel a lot less a lot less sorry for him whenever he was just sending thumbs up images for the last six months. <laughs> Nearly there, soon. Can't wait to get back. I'd say you fucking can't. You've been talking about it for six months. <laughs> yeah. And... Um- well, I suppose going up Martinez as well. Everybody else is going down, right? I don't think there's... Yeah. Like going down Ollie Watkins, I think, for the first time. Just because of that miss. Just just not what I expect from him. Yeah, um, Martinez is definitely going up. I mean, not that that save he makes from Konza is it's not yeah. only is, is it an outstanding save of a certain goal. He, he saves Konza from completing the howler hat-trick of conceding <laughs> a penalty, slipping on his arse and scoring an OG. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and Elmo maybe doesn't go up or down just out of respect for what a great man he is. And only 33, plenty of life yet in the in that career. Questions we can't answer, but probably will. Do you agree with Stan Collymore questioning how much nastiness Villa have in them? So just for context, I'll I'll read out his tweet that he sent after the after the game. Villa take the point but concern about how much nastiness this Villa team has in it there's been little rivalry with Leeds due to promotion the goal etc but even when conceding goals for fun I thought these have a hard streak Villa don't, he's on my Leeds, Villa don't and they need one we, we talked about this at the start of the year I mean Villa, Villa do tend to capitulate when, when things aren't going well for them, they don't ever seem to recover. And if conceding against West Brom can make you just not play football for the next 70 minutes, then you should really be questioning yourself. You should be questioning your your fortitude, your, your stomach for a fight, because you can't be letting that affect you. You've just dominated a game for 20 minutes. You've conceded a penalty because Kanza put his hand on somebody's shoulder. Just go back out and beat them again. Don't let this affect you. And obviously, there's a there's momentum, and West Brom have lifted themselves a little bit. But that just means there's more space to exploit because West Brom are coming out of position now. Just keep it calm and play it around West Brom. They're absolutely atrocious. <laughs> like, like their team, apart from Pereira, is just a team of absolute plotters. Callum Robinson's okay, but they're they're absolutely shite. They're there to be ripped apart. Just keep it calm and beat them. And if conceding a goal makes you go so badly for the rest of the game, then you'd have to think that Stan's not completely completely in the wrong. Do you know what I didn't like either? Um, I think it's 2-1 to West Brom. I know it's desperate at a stage, but I feel like Villa hadn't made any subs at this stage. And Tyrone Mings gets the ball <laughs> where he loves getting the ball in the opposition's half on the left-hand side there's loads of space in front of him right and I, I get it there's space in front of him but I just hear that that distinctive Dean Smith roar telling him to go 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 your fucking centre half is on the ball 
Like, why are you getting so urgent that he needs to go? Like, tell him to give the ball to Ross Barkley, who's hiding somewhere, and tell him to run and do something with it. Like, that, like, that just so easily could be a mistake from Tyrone Mings and leaving yourself open and conceding a third goal and it's game over. Like, I, I just don't... I don't like see like seeing things drop into a, a desperation mode where it's like right, we just go like you know anybody has a bit of space in front of them go like that's probably what West Brom want. They've probably set a trap like let let let, let that guy have it, and like we're all back here anyway in front of the the post you know so we don't need Mings to carry it as far as he can before he just hits that wall. We need something else. We need to draw them out. We need to move them around like Mings charging up the field. Before turning around and, and giving it to target whoever is, is pointless. And, and I that's ex- that's exactly what happened as well. It was absolutely pointless. He yeah. just did gallop forward until he hit the wall and just turned around. <laughs> he just carried the ball for three seconds for no reason. And I just don't want Smith getting involved in that. <laughs> you know, you're better than that, Dean. Like you know, don't don't get involved in that rubbish. Like when that does happen, tell them to stop it and don't don't, don't do it again. Yeah, but don't forget, Dean Smith was also watching that match. Dean Smith was also watching our midfield just kick the ball away. So why the fuck not? Send Big Tyrone up, galloping through. Yeah, I did have thoughts of that. Who was that against when he cocked up? Fulham? Yeah, when he set up the the goal that got us back in. Oh, I miss Trezeguet. I must say, I miss him. I miss him tonight as well. Uh, Second question we can't answer, but probably will. What was John Terry writing down in his notepad? Craig Shakespeare's Mrs's number. <laughs> oh, that, that, that's better than my one. <laughs> and I've had time to think about my own. <laughs> so I was like, I was thinking this is a big elaborate game. Like he's taking it to other levels. You know that game you played in school where you take your thumb and your index finger and you put them together? And you hold it underneath the table. It has to be below your your hips. Mm. And you have to get your mate to look at it. So you're forming a circle of your thumb and your index finger. And he has to look at the circle. And you win when he looks at it. <laughs> what a game. I, I think that John Terry was drawing a hand with that circle on it. He was drawing a hand that had, had the thumb and the index finger put together in a circle. And he was bringing it over to fuck with Bjorn Engels because he's play- he's playing this long-standing game with him, and he was going to just drop it in front of him, pretending like it was instructions, and there it was going to be an amazing revelation, <laughs> like the the ultimate win in that game. It was going to be drawn down on a manager's notepad, and Engels would not have known what to do. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about tonight's game. <laughs> How fucking boring and lacking in quality it was that you constructed this little world. Bjorn Engels! Why are you drawing him into it? As if Bjorn Engels would be tricked into looking at a manager's notebook. He can't get on the fucking field for loving their money. He's, he knows exactly what John Terry's up to when he's bringing him a notepad that he's been writing on. Because it's not fucking instructions for the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're not falling for that one again, John. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. There's no instructions there for me to see. <laughs> yeah, last one. What does Sammy Lee think his job is? <laughs> does, I don't know. Does he think he's 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 adding anything to the game of football? <laughs> you know, by standing on the sideline, jumping up and down, roaring instructions, and like. He's actually allowing Sam Mallory to, in his own head, think that he's some sort of deep-thinking intellectual sitting on the bench while his crony does all the roaring and shouting for him. Like when you're you're doing that much roaring and shouting on the like you, you've not prepared your team. <laughs> you're just chasing him up the pitch, like, ch- like chasing him up, roaring, roaring. Like I used to have a manager who used to run after me up the sideline shouting, "Don't give it away! Don't give it away!" It's like a fucking no. I wasn't planning on giving it away. <laughs> but just micromanaging to unbelievable degree. And like Sammy Lee is the worst at it. Yeah. Like I've never had a manager do that to me. So maybe that just says something about you. <laughs> but maybe Sam Allardyce is just there to make, or sorry, Sammy Lee's just there to make Sam Allardyce look like the, the cultured 
continental connoisseur that he wants the world to think that he is, that he needs to get the big job. I mean, (laughs) he is the most paranoid man in world football. This is a man who's so insecure that he has to pretend that there's a grand conspiracy against him. (laughs) He has to pretend that Johnny Foreigner has done him out of a job to justify what he clearly views as his own mediocre career. I mean, he should actually be really proud of it, despite his limitations. He was so close to the very top tier. was actually given the England job, (laughs) despite the modesty of his achievements. And his paranoia about the bigotry of the football establishment against Englishman is laughable. Just think about his career, the time whenever he was at his peak, and the merry-go-round of Pardrew and Pulis and Bruce and McCarthy that had a stranglehold on the mid-table and lower lower end of the Premier League, the pinnacle of world football. Yeah. And he was making that claim that it was just the last syllable of his name that was holding him back. You know, he couldn't couldn't get a top job because his name wasn't Allardyce. Alex Ferguson was the manager of Man United that season. <laughs> and he was just about to appoint David Moyes as his successor at the end of the season. Brendan Rodgers had just replaced Kenny Dalglish. And let's not forget, he started his career as a fucking foreigner. I mean, there are a lot of things to like about the place. I've had loads of good nights there. It's got loads of culture, history. It's amazing sport. But I don't know if I can ever forgive Limerick City for giving Allardyce a start in football. (laughs) Yeah, that's um, of all the jobs, there's definitely a story to be done in that. Like Sam Allardyce, like he's basically obviously still using the same models that he was using back in Limerick back in when when was it nineteen eighty something ninety one ninety one and like that that's still the the coaching techniques that he's using now. Well, actually, now he's just using Sammy Lee and he's yeah uh, he's pretending like he's he's got something else going on. It is grim, isn't it? When you when you think about it. like England, England have the best squad in the world, I think now and. uh you know, they, they should be like they should be challenging now for Euros and World Cups for the next eight years at least. Um, but like the last appointment that they made was Sam Allardyce. Like the only reason Gareth Southgate's there because Sam Allardyce got sacked after one game because of that scandal that was going on. And yeah, like it's it's hard to sort of give them that much plaudits for the work that they've done. It's obviously been amazing work to develop all these players and like develop these players that are exactly. The players that they didn't have and they, they spotted that like everybody spotted it in fairness but it was like we don't have these technical players we don't have these attacking players you know and now they've, they've got they've got an embarrassment of riches of them and yet they appointed Sam Allardyce at the top of all that to oversee it all <laughs> <laughs> imagine imagine Pep Guardiola handing over Phil Foden to Sam Allardyce like you know look after him for me will you <laughs> And Sammy Lee saying, don't worry, we'll take it from here. <laughs> what does Sammy Lee have to roar at Phil Foden and Jack Grealish and Mason Mount and the boys? Christ almighty. Harry Kane taking instructions from Sam oh, Allardyce. It's, but that's it. It's so small time. It's like, you know, if you imagine them doing that at any other club, like above West Brom's level, just, they would just turn around and say, will you shut the fuck up? <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you doing? Relax, like you know, my old manager used to give me instructions, and we used to train all week. And you know, then we knew what we were doing. You are not helping anybody here. Shut up! But they can probably get away with it in the championship as they as they sail into that sunset. And look, I'm always a little bit worried about slagging off England's appointment to Sam Allardyce and how they they don't deserve Foden, they don't deserve Grealish, and you know, they don't deserve Mount and Kane and Rashford and Sterling and all this absolute embarrassment of riches that they have. I'm terrified about slagging them off because there's always just that fear in the back of my mind that Big Sam is Ireland's next manager. (laughs) Yeah, well, if there's anybody from Limerick City on the fucking FAA board, (laughs) you might be pushing hard for him. And with that, another two points dropped. (laughs) We've been promising you misery and you've been getting it. We've been delivering and that's it for another per night being an Aston Villa fan. If you have any thoughts, if you're enjoying the show, get in touch with us. We're we're enjoying the the tweets that we're getting. 
on the Villa podcast on Twitter. And you can always send us an email if you want to give us something a bit longer at the Villa podcast at gmail.com. It's Everton on Saturday. It's eight o'clock, another nighttime match. But um, yeah, safe to say another game that we won't be winning. <laughs> but it's me, Jack Reedy. Should be back. And we will see you all then. All the best. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.